Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. This is our 2019 F1 season review where we'll be looking at the top half of the grid. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by media guru Chris Stevens. How's it going, Chris? It's going great, Spanners. Looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty of this top half of what has been a very dramatic season. Yeah, it has been. Obviously, the shine was taken off by Mercedes' massive leap, and like it was like 12 races before the second best team actually won a race. And I think like we focus on the early run that Mercedes had. But when Mercedes didn't win, it was Red Bull at first taking those wins. Well, I think we gloss over those first eight races. I mean, it was six, one, two finishes in the first eight races. Whereas actually, if you look into those races, it tells the story of a much more interesting season than certainly the results uh, show. So hopefully that's what we're going to get into tonight. Oh, well, hopefully we can unpack some of that and get into those nuances. Uh, we are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves, we aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined in the shed by our quiz master, general all-round nice guy, Chris Catman-Turner, uh, to be referred to only as Catman from now on. Good evening. It's, it's a bit dangerous, Spanish. You've got your exotic Chris and your weekday Chris in the same room at the same time. Exotic Chris. Are you the exotic Chris? Are you? Is that yeah. what you're saying? So I yeah. have my, my work a day. I have my, my marriage Chris that I have all the time. And you think you, you're billing yourself as the exotic, exciting Chris. Yeah, I'm the weekend in Ibiza, Chris. Nice. I, I, we, we will call you Catman to avoid confusion from now on, now that Chris is back in our good books. We're also joined all the way from Australia, moaning about a heat wave where we all sit here and shiver. It's our video guru, Steve Amy. How's it going, Steve? It's going well, thanks, Spanners. And you're dead right. It has been very hot here in the last week. But as you can see, the beach is, you know, looking very fine. And I'll go for a swim after we've done this. I've always found it very odd that you guys have like Christmas, like fully in the middle of your summer. 
Oh yeah, boy, do we ever? Does that affect? Um, does that affect the marketing? Because like, well, obviously we have uh, Father Christmas and igloos and snow and all that kind of thing everywhere. Do you have yeah, Santa well, on a hot beach? No, we have him surfing usually <laughs> on a, you know, the surfboard with a big sack on his back and that sort of thing. Yeah, and Santa on the beach. So yes, awesome. Let's find out which one of the teams have been naughty or nice, and we'll be getting a visit from the F1 Santa. Right, as me and Chris said earlier, we're going to be going through the top five teams. Each one of the teams has been assigned to one of our panel. Uh, Steve Amy is covering Renault. Uh, Catman Turner, Chris, is going to be covering Red Bull. Uh, Chris Stevens, because he was a journo and stuff and he knows his stuff, he's got Red Bull and Mercedes. And I have got Ferrari. Now, don't worry, because my whinges about Ferrari's season have been well documented. So I am going to be drawing out the positives from the 2019 Ferrari season and giving the Tafosi things to be joyful about, things to look forward to, and things to be proud of. Where should we start? Let's start in the in, in the middle of that top five. Let's start with Red Bull. Chris Stevens, that's on you. Tell us about Red Bull season. Well, I think the big thing about Red Bull uh, this season was obviously the the switch from Renault engines over to Honda, which was bit of a question mark at the time because when was it announced it was just after they won the monaco grand prix uh with an ailing renault engine and uh, i think we at the time thought have have honda shown enough with toro rosso that uh, they're going to make red bull competitive and uh, we certainly have the answers to those questions uh now uh because well they won three races uh this season and uh, at the very, very worst, you could say they are on a similar performance level to last year. Okay, no, well, that's fair. I think we said it a couple of weeks ago that whilst they may have had the same amount of overall wins as with the Renault engine, <clears throat> you're looking at the the end of the Renault arc. They had a long time with that relationship with Renault to get to that level, and they were able to at least match it with Honda. That's hopeful. But I think I think it did look positive last year with Toro Rosso in that the Toro Rosso wasn't just pulling over to a halt every race. And that is kind of what we've been expecting from Honda throughout all their McLaren days. Yeah, the the outright reliability and power of the engine is still in a little bit of a blur in comparison to uh, the Mercedes and, uh, and the Ferrari because they're still taking those strategic penalties. So we don't know if they can actually go through the season on the allocated number of elements uh, just yet. But um, certainly there's there's a progression there. And I think what's crucial for Red Bull as well is that I don't think they were going to win another title with Renault. They, they don't seem to be showing the ability to catch up with uh, Mercedes and Ferrari. They may well be improving their engine, but they've got to outdevelop Mercedes and Ferrari, which Honda are showing they can do. So that it was clearly the way forward for them. That'll be interesting because I've got a suspicion that Steve may argue with you about the Renault engine in the Renault section. I, I, I'm interested in sort of raw numbers though, because we've we've talked for a long time about the battle between Ferrari and Mercedes on pure power. If we just put these on a dyno and just run horsepower numbers, what do we know about where... The, it's the spec four, isn't it? So this is the spec four honda engine for the season do we know whereabouts they are uh in terms of specific numbers uh not that i have to uh to hand uh certainly i doubt they would have made those public put put your hands like here's honda here's thing here's what's it 
Okay, let's say if the Ferrari is a 10, then uh, because we, we believe it's the most powerful um, by uh, some 30, 40, maybe even 50 horsepower at times this season, uh, then we'll call the Mercedes an 8 and a Honda a 7, maybe a, maybe a 6.5. Wait a minute, is that an unladen Ferrari or a laden Ferrari? Is that an African Ferrari or a European Ferrari? Monty Python joke, but uh, I'm, I'm surprised that you're putting the Ferrari a ten and the Mercedes power unit an eight. Yeah, just because. Uh, well, I, I would call it. And it depends what you want to rank on. In terms of power, I'd say eight. But uh, for things like uh, reliability, overall season performance, then I'd put the Mercedes marginally ahead. Is this also pre-technical directive or post-technical directive? Yeah, yeah. Good question, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Wait a minute, if I'm being positive about Ferrari, can I be negative until we get... No, 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 no spanners. This is a, a, a season of, of positivity that we're entering now. Uh, Chris? And, uh, obviously, I mentioned the fact that we, we don't quite know how the Honda performs against Mercedes and Ferrari in terms of raw power. Obviously, the chat room is bringing up the, uh, the drag race between Pierre Gasly and Lewis Hamilton uh, on the final lap in Interlagos. And of course... On the face of it, it would look like the Honda has very much got the legs on the Mercedes, but we have to consider, uh, A, the Mercedes engine was underperforming that way weekend due to the, the altitude. It just doesn't run as efficiently in those conditions. And it was a much older engine that uh, Hamilton was running. So that's, especially in the end of the season, it's so hard to make these comparisons. I think the fairest judgment you get is at the first race in Australia. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, like you said, it was an older power unit from Hamilton. Uh, also, Red Bull may have been running less wing. It's hard to tell. I think people make far too much out of which car is faster in a straight line because pretty much guarantee you any Mercedes or Ferrari car could choose to be the fastest car through a speed trap, could choose to be the fastest car from A to B, Catman. But, you know, you have to go through the wiggly bits as well. Yeah, and actually a lot of it is not necessarily on the top speed. It's how quickly you get to that top speed. And Ferrari are very good with their energy deployment at getting there. All right, Chris, tell us uh, a bit more about the Red Bull season then. It's been a funny one from a driver point of view. They've, they're clearly favouring Max. I don't think anyone can argue that Max is their number one driver. Uh, they've been a lot more less steady on their second driver. Uh, how do you rate the, the drivers or, or rank the drivers at Red Bull? Favouring Max is absolutely the right decision. He has been outstanding this season. And for my money, the second best driver on the grid right now uh, behind Lewis Hamilton. And he is for sure going to be a title contender in 2020 if Red Bull get their act together. But his sheer speed has put two very good racing drivers under a lot of pressure. We can't uh, just say that uh, Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon are not fine racing drivers simply because on uh, average there were maybe three quarters of a second behind uh, max in qualifying uh, i i you say two i say three maybe even four uh, just a quick shout out to the chat room uh, who have kept us company all year and have been fantastic and growing in number uh, hubert schiller has taken the opportunity to contribute five pounds in the super chat and you can support us there or you can support us at patreon.com forward slash missed apex. But we do love having you live with us in the chat room. So go to YouTube, search for missed apex podcast, and you can just chat along live while looking at us record and bless your patience. Cause you often have to put up with 
a lot of the sausage being made. Uh, but to your point, Chris, you say two drivers, Gasly and Albon, have has made both of them look fairly ordinary or made them look like the rookies they are. But he also, you know, he, he kind of put paid to, to Daniel Ricciardo as well. He edged out signs when he was still very much not in his final form. But you might have a really good point. I, I think just raw speed-wise, we might be seeing one of the very fastest Formula One drivers ever. And we won't know until we see him up against a few more people, probably, but it's a possibility. Yeah, for, for sure. I agree with you on, on Ricardo and on uh, Science, but it was uh, more just about um, this year, really, because uh, the, the qualifying speed he has, but also his racecraft has just been amazing this year i mean and, and not just the uh leclerc battle um at silverstone but his wheel-to-wheel ability we, we've always known he will go for gaps and he'll make a pass happen but um, he's really developed that this year i think and i think sometimes he maybe does sometimes pick the wrong battles still but on a decreasing basis so you can see the the development um there and you know that leclerc action at silverstone uh, not only was it, you know, the FIA action of the year, but it was also my action of the year. Uh, Catman, then Steve. Yeah, absolutely. And also with uh, Max just shoving Leclerc off the track at Austria <laughs> was just you know showing uh, how amazing he is in terms of just ruthlessness, which is what you need to be a top driver. When you're talking about Ricardo, I think uh, I don't think he showed him up too badly, but Ricardo ran away scared. I think. But at that stage, I think Ricardo was the the more complete driver. Max was still making a lot of mistakes, yep. and he was taking a lot of chances he shouldn't have done. This year, he's really matured in that respect, apart from Mexico, of course. So, just to clarify that point, because I can see Steve seething. Yes, uh, yes, uh, Ricardo may may well have been actually the better racer at that point. However, if you're Ricciardo, I think you could see that just you were not going to beat him in qualifying over a season. Well, I mean, you've kind of stolen my thunder now, but I was about to make that point. Oh, that sorry. <laughs> R- R- Ricardo, did, Ricardo did, you know, jump ship. Um, it was obvious at that stage, though, that Max was going to be, you know, had the future with the team. And if he was going to stay there, he was going to be a number two. And he wasn't going to take that, and nor should he. And the other point I'd like to make is we're all saying, well, Max has, you know, matured last year and, you know, he's turning into a fine racer. This is his fifth season. If he hasn't matured as a racer by now, perhaps he needs to go back to school for a while. I mean, he is a great racer, but he still makes some pretty silly mistakes at times, and he made a couple of bad ones this year. He's not a perfect – he's fast, but he's not perfect. So two points. Um, First, I'd say his only flashpoint this season was the Mexico pole squander. And, you know, in response, yes, it's his fifth season, but he's still only 22 years old. And to think that Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel had only made their debuts at that point. So as much as we have to rate Max against the the very best that there is, I I still think we have to take a pinch of salt with him in in that uh, level because there is just something that comes with age. I mean, his first year in Formula One was his second year of car racing. Yeah, so what, you, what you're kind of asking us to do is treat his first couple of seasons as if that was his F2 and F3 seasons and yeah. allowing those mistakes. Yeah, kind of. But there is also an element that if the world gives you that privilege, earned earned or otherwise, he definitely did earn you know, through skill and talent, but he had all the privilege in the world to allow him to do that. And being a Verstappen 
certainly help that. So I, yes, I get that. He's still young, but with all the tools at his disposal, he was put into F1 that early. He would have been part of that decision as well. I, I don't want to let him off for that. I would rather treat him as someone with five years Formula One experience. Yeah, I I think we have to at this point now. It's kind of getting to the point where he does need to start bringing in the results. And I think once he actually gets put into a position to fight for a championship, you you will say see a bit more of a of a change because right now he doesn't have a lot to lose by you know saying well if I go for this move and I crash the car then you know we we lose fourth place in in this race. It's not like he's fighting for the win every single weekend. Which, if say next year Rebel managed to hit the ground running, we could see a bit of a change in um, the attitude. But I mean, if we're if we're looking at reasons why Rebel didn't score points, then uh, the second car is really where we're going to be looking at why they didn't come second in the constructors' championship, for example, which they should have done. Uh, I've got some statistics from a listener, Martin Van Bellen. Uh, I haven't had time to fully un- unpack this, but I think that the gist of it is that since Monaco 2018. It, it seems like Verstappen's qualifying has really turned around. And yeah. so if you compare uh, his stats, which Martin has done, and I've, I've not checked them, but we'll, we'll take Martin on his word. It's basically Verstappen versus Ricciardo, Gasly and Albon combined. Since Monaco 2018, he's had five race victories compared to zero from his teammate. He's had two or three, depending on whether you live in Holland or not, uh, sorry, the Netherlands or not, versus one from those three combined. 19 podiums. 19 podiums versus from the other three drivers since Monaco 2018, zero, zero. The qualifying battle, Verstappen versus those three since Monaco 2018 is 31-5 and the points is 592 versus 232. Obviously, Gasly and Albon had a bit of a bedding in period, etc. But that paints quite a picture, uh, as Martin says. Yeah, obviously, there's a caveat to it, not just... Um, Albon and, and Gasly, who were obviously not able to deliver the 100%, but also Ricardo had a really unlucky run at the end of last season as well with so many reliability problems and you know, while he was fighting for podium positions as well. So I think there is that to consider as well, not to take anything away from Max because he still just is so, so amazing. And it's just such a joy watching him go uh, wheel to wheel with a lot of these guys. Fantastic. Okay, let's um, wrap up Red Bull a little bit. I guess um, slightly less prominent in the Red Bull season has been the other two. Yeah, so I think it would be fair to say uh, that Max was flying solo uh, this year. Gasly arrived at Red Bull unfit for service, I would say. and then Explain to... that, explain that. Well, I... <laughs> there's, a, there's an argument that he was rushed in um, a little bit maybe a second season at Toro Rosso would have done him um, a little bit better. You kind of just get the feeling that they had to get someone in because Ricardo was leaving the team. Uh, and uh, as much as Gasly was impressive in his first season, there needed to be a little bit more in there, I think, because we've seen in, in junior formula uh, for him, it takes him two or three years to kind of bed in a little bit, which we see with a lot of drivers. Yeah, although the best ones, Verstappen, Hamilton, Alonso, you didn't see them taking a year to bed in, did you? You know, Hamilton was right on it. You know, if I I tend to think that if you're going to be that good, you have, you're already going to be pretty special to start with. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, Mate, Gasly had six months. Uh, Imagine being a striker at Man United and you don't score in six months. You're going to get benched. 
that you know that's and F1's arguably you know more competitive in the fact that there's less seats. Catman. Yeah, I, I wasn't at all smug at, uh, when it was announced uh, that he was uh, being stepped down after my preseason prediction. I just <sighs> you could see it coming from a mile off. He just that Verstappen juggernaut is just going to roll over anybody. Unfortunately, oh, it's so such bad news for everyone. All those preseason predictions have been entirely lost. I I don't know who did it. It may <laughs> it may have been Steve. Steve may have lost all those records, but they're definitely gone. Don't look for them. No, not there. Don't look for them there either. Chris. <laughs> we need to document them a little bit better next time. Um, so I say he's already, you know, arrived a little bit unfit for service. And then you throw in those two big crashes he had in preseason testing that just knocked every last bit of confidence out of the poor lad. And then he ended up fighting cars that he shouldn't have been anywhere um, near and he wouldn't get stuck in and, and race them. Uh, which is why it was absolutely the right decision to replace him with Alex Albon, yeah. who did get in there straight away. And I think that you can see that sort of turning point in Red Bull because they defended him so much, which you so rarely uh, see when there's such a, a a big differentiation in performance there to the point where, you know, they were criticizing their own car, which they never did before mm. uh, in order to defend uh, Gasly. But I think in Hungary, where because Max was fighting like, and if they had a second car that was a bit closer, they could have strategically used him to help win that race. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the sort of turning point. Like, nope, we need to make a change. And Alex was immediately fighting. In yeah, that- great. So that I was going to say that, you know, that was a phantom menace. And now Alex, I don't, it's a new hope. I don't know. I don't know how the Star Wars films work. They're terrible, Steve. Um, in the chat room, EJ Hammer brings up an interesting point. He, he'd like to know, how did uh, Albon go versus Gasly? They had uh, Gasly had eleven races. Albon had ten. What, what was the kind of uh, the point score balance between them? Well, you can't compare them because in the second half of that season, it was all just grid penalties and back of the grid starts for Albon, especially. I think he had three races. Three of his first five races were. Um, starting uh, lower down than he should have been because of engine penalties. So in terms of the points, you can't really make that comparison, even with Max. But you can see he was so much closer and in that lead group. Yeah, and actually, I think they only finished two points apart, despite Gasly getting that uh, miraculous uh, podium position. So that just yeah. shows that the album did get the better majority of the the points for Red Bull. So I just have. Two, two things, and we'll, we'll wrap up on Red Bull. For Albon especially, you have to remember, he had no super license when he got in the Toro Rosso in preseason testing, hadn't driven a Formula One car before they did the shakedown of the car when they were doing the filming day, had no chance of an F1 career when he started his F2 season in 2018. So put all that together, it really has been an astonishing 12 months for um, Alex Albon. And uh, one last thing I'd like to say about Red Bull is that their pit crew has been astonishing. Three world record pit stops in one season. And you got to, that has made a difference. You've seen it where they've been able to jump guys. I won't be happy until they change tyres without stopping the car. Until then, it's not good enough for me. I'm not impressed by the space thing. Uh, no, I, I am impressed constantly, actually, uh, by Red Bull doing things for the sake of it, and they seem to have an attention to detail and a, a scope and scale to do things that other teams don't have. It will be incredibly exciting to see if that can translate to a championship challenge in 2019. So I don't know, let's say a B plus 
to get an A, they need to be in the title fight and they need to break through this glass barrier that they've had of like three wins. So they need to win in places that aren't Mexico, that aren't, um, I, I say I started off on that as if I was going to be able Mon- to Monaco. Win. Monaco, thank you very much. Uh, you know, the one, they've, they've got their courses, the Red Bull courses. They've got to start winning at other places. A big win at Silverstone next season or turn up to Paul Ricard and go smash Paul and win. Then we can really start hoping for things. Time to move on, guys. Okay, so we're jumping around in a bit of a weird order, just to keep you on your toes. We are reviewing the top five teams season. So that is, of course, McLaren, Renault, Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull. Next, let's let's go over to Chris Catman-Turner and find out how the season went for that team called McLaren with the Renault in the back of its car. Yeah, I would like to actually argue that McLaren were the best performing team of 2019. Oh, here we go. Oh, here yep. we go. All oh, right, everyone. Okay, sorry, I didn't realise you were going to say that. Everyone get comfy. Right, here we yep. go. Hang on, knuckles cracking. Here we go. Let's go for it. I haven't even finished, with Carlos Sainz being the best driver of the year as well. Oh, okay. Oh, so, I'm going to need we... boxing gloves for this. Okay, so I'll, I'll leave you to <laughs> Here we it. go. So I'll, I'll rest my case. I'll make my case and then you can have at me. So McLaren absolutely destroyed the works Renault team and they scored 145 points to 91. Uh, this, despite having a, a vastly less experienced driver lineup, Hulkenberg was in it for nine years, Ricardo eight, and Science was only in it for four, and Norris is a complete rookie. And also they have a lack of kind of their works integration of their engine and their chassis, which can make a massive difference. Um, they get the, the designs late. They have to package it around what Renault give them rather than uh, you know, being able to, to go with their own design philosophy. It's such a difference. And, and actually, you know, it's, it's almost embarrassing. Sorry to, to Renault and to Steve there, but uh, I think it's embarrassing on that front. And going back to Carlos, he scored more points. He scored 96 by himself than any other midfield constructor, including Renault. Uh, and even if you take his, his podium away from him, given average finish of seventh, for example, he still scored 87, which is vastly more than Ricardo scored at 54, his nearest rival. And he beat, we're talking about Gasly and Albon, who both had half a season in a race-winning car. He beat them both. So I think it's entirely fair that you've set this up as if essentially a four-car championship, haven't you? So it's like, it's McLaren versus Renault and those four drivers. That's a completely yeah. fair comparison. And there's no doubt at all uh chris stevens that mclaren won formula one point renault for sure and i would argue that science is in the top three or four drivers of the grid this season if he doesn't make it into autosports top 10 drivers of the year uh, i'll be i'll be a little bit disappointed and i will complain to them um but to say mclaren is the best performing team is Difficult for me to agree with because I still hold them to the standards that I believe that they should be, which is they should be at the sharp end of the field. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a fair charge, Catman. It depends where you're going to set your your bar for success. Because really, realistically, McLaren should be title contenders. But at the beginning of the season, fifth was a reasonable target, wasn't it? Oh yeah, definitely, fifth was a reasonable target. I, I think I I would love to hold them in championship contention but actually realistically i think you've got the top three teams who are spending 450 million dollars then you've got renault and 
and uh, McLaren spending you know a good hundred million less than that. So I don't think realistically you're going to get anywhere near that sort of performance based on those budgets. So I think this is as far as they can go. Oh, as far as they can go forever, Stevens. No, I, I think. At this point in time, this is where I think 2020 it'll be a consolidation year. We'll lock down that fourth place, and then in 2021, that's when they're supposed to make the big leap forward and uh, utilize the new regulations, especially because there's no point going in 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 2020 and having an amazing car for that. Yeah, not unless Zach Brown gets a, a few more um, sponsors on board and actually involve, increases that amount of cash that they need because you just can't outdevelop the top teams. Uh, okay, brilliant. That brings you. That brings me to my next line of interrogation. So, if we were to give you the credit of saying, "All right, well, they in in my eyes, McLaren finished three places lower than they should be aiming for," you're counting that as a victory and saying they're the best team in Formula One this season. If if we want to be generous and say top five, they finished fourth, didn't they? I'm not wrong about that. They finished fourth overall. They outscored Renault and uh, finishes yep. fourth, yeah, fourth highest team. So in a way, they finished minus one of their target, target minus one. Okay, that's great. Let's say that's a relative success. Where do you credit it? Because Matt Trumpets posted on Twitter that he thinks, and by the way, he's doing some musicy thing, right? He thinks that is more important than this. He said that Zach Brown is a genius for getting McLaren to this position. I personally might think that's a stretch. Where do you land? I would say he's done a good job. He realised uh, his mistakes because he was, he was, don't forget, in charge during the the awful years where they were only scoring thirty points, uh, and when Eric Bouillet was in charge as well. So, they as good as he was at managing Renault, he was never going to be able to manage a, a top team. Uh, so they got rid of him, and now they've they've moved on to Seidel. Uh, and uh, I think he's he's good, but I don't see that many new sponsors on the car, and that is his main area of expertise. And I just I just don't see it. Yeah. So what is he doing? So the, I think the thing that Matt has credited him with is is bringing in the team principal Seidel, and perhaps Steve he can take the credit for the driver lineups as well. Oh, maybe I want to ask the question though. If Zach Brown was so terrible at running the team, and Seidel's only came come in sort of halfway through this this season, who was it that orchestrated the big improvement for McLaren? Because that would have had to have started during the 2018 season. Yeah, it certainly wasn't wasn't Seidel. I mean, he, so he's come from the the Porsche World Endurance Championship background, sure. but he. As you say, he's kind of taken over the reins when they were already on an upward trajectory. Yes, um, very much so. Yeah, so I, I think he's. It was like when Mercedes took over from Braun and suddenly stole the show. You know, it was the same sort of thing. So, so Pat Fry seems to be the one, isn't he? Wasn't he the one that was there at the time? You know, putting the team back together and then left when Seidel came around. Well, I think with with all of the teams turnarounds that we see, you can never just attribute it to one person. You know, if Toto Wolff leaves Mercedes, Mercedes will do just fine. Uh, Ferrari hasn't been turned around because Maurizio Rivabene replaced Mattia Bonotto, and it hasn't been turned around since. Um, uh, who, who was who was before um, Rivabene? Domenicali. No, no, there was the interim guy. Who was it? Oh, um, Matt, yeah, probably began with an M. Domenicali was a great team principal, <laughs> um, and um, I forget who uh, replaced him, which is a little bit embarrassing. Oh, okay, so you're but, saying uh, it's not down to one person, but that's not really no. the kind of. A nuanced analysis that our listeners are used to. So if we could just <laughs> pin it down to one guy, that would be great. All right, Lando Norris. 
Yeah, I would agree. I would actually say getting rid of Alonso was probably the biggest thing that they did because uh, he has been toxic no matter where he's gone. And, and I love the guy. He's a great racer, but he just can't build a team around him. Uh, Marco Mattiacci was the person I was uh, trying to thank. Thank you, chat room. All right. um, but on Alonso, I will say you got Alonso knows what a good car feels like. So having his development, you know, feedback over 2017, 2018, and let's not discredit Stoffel Van Dorn as well. I, he deserves a huge amount of credit in helping develop that car as well. I know that he didn't have the most glittering Formula One career. Did, didn't he, didn't he lose qu- the qualifying battle to nil last season? Yeah. Yes. 21 so, yeah. to nil. And he only scored, he's, uh, Alonso scored uh, all of the points pretty much bar 12 uh, all right. of their points in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, and I know, yeah, chat room's already losing their mind over this, but that was such a blip in his career. Literally everything else that man has driven, he has been unbelievable in. And I think it's just a combination of Formula One politics and uh, Alonso being amazing and the car being terrible. <laughs> but he did have a, a crucial part in the development of that car to help make it what it was for this season. Okay, Chris, uh, I think we can give you that to some extent. And uh, we, we won't draw attention to the fact that Catman is under some spousal pressure there. Uh, do you need, do you, look, hey, if you need to go and sort out some the cats or something, because you're a vet, so you take all the animals home. <laughs> Have you got like a wild leopard in the kitchen that you're feeding with a baby's milk bottle? I, I think it must be. I mean, both my kids are still awake and driving my wife nuts. Um, oh, well. But I can keep going for a, for a few minutes. It's absolutely fine. Um where were we? Shall I go on to the the gulf between McLaren and the top three teams? Let's do that. Okay. So there, there's a there's a lot of so we're just saying how much of a genius uh, that uh, Brown is, but actually the the team still has a lot of refining to do. They had well too many retirements this year. Science had four, and Norris had five or six if you include France. I didn't realise it was Belgium. that. I didn't realise it was that high. Wow. Yeah, massive. So it's over a quarter of their starts and, and no other team had any more than that. The only driver to retire more was, can anybody guess? Oh, uh, no. Grosjean, mainly because oh. he hit, hit a lot of things. Right. Is that, is that actually true? Is, is Grosjean the person who retired the most this season? Yeah. That's incredible. So that does reflect the fact that when you go on a betting site before the race, if you want to bet on first driver to DNF, Grosjean always has the shortest odds. Always. Um, so does that affect how we judge the gulf between Sainz and Norris. Because I think that's that's where we go next. And as Brits, we have been cheering Norris on, although Sainz is also a very popular driver. You you can't deny Sainz has outperformed Norris. I think it's the scale of which that has happened and how much of that we can account to being a rookie that we're looking at. Because obviously Sainz got that podium. That's a big hunk of points for a team that wasn't competing for podiums week in, week out. Yeah, I mean, so they made a big deal out of Lando Norris getting 11 uh, to 10 in terms of the qualifying battle in, in Abu Dhabi. He made a, they made a really big deal out of it and science was really disappointed. But actually, if you, if you delve deeper into it, they had so many mechanical issues, particularly in uh, qualifying and practice, that actually made a, a massive difference. So if you exclude, there were six races where um, they had problems in qualifying and actually that put if you take those out it put science as out qualifying norris nine to six 
with the average gap being about 0.1 in science's favour. So it's, it's not far, but it's enough. The problem is in that midfield, that 0.1 to 0.2 of a second can be one or two places. Uh, and, and that can be a, a big problem for the rest of your race if you're stuck behind someone. Yeah, it must be said the midfield has been so competitive that a tenth of a second has meant multiple places um, on the grid, sometimes, you know, multiple rows even. But, um, you know, we, we are making the comparison between somebody who's been in Formula One since 2015 and somebody in their first season. And, uh, you know, we mentioned the point earlier that, that science maybe takes a couple of years to kind of get, get into it. Uh, but uh, we are looking at the peak of Carlos Sainz at the moment, I think. Uh, and for Lando to, to come in, in no way has he discredited or shamed himself. Uh, he's identified the problem areas, you know, things like having to get his elbows out on, on lap one because he was losing too many uh, places. Yeah, I think a bit of the qualifying speed does need to come there. I will agree with you on that, um, Catman. But... Um, he, I think he's been uh, astonishing for a rookie. Uh, and let's not forget his, his junior career as well, which was simply brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sorry, that was by no means to take away from Lando's stellar first year in Formula 1. He's been absolutely brilliant. I didn't expect him to get anywhere near science as, as much as he did. He had a few off days that needed to sort. So kind of Monaco and Brazil, he really just kind of failed to to make an impression on the race and actually had to let science past him because he was just, you know, just floundering, basically. And uh, got, there were a couple of incidents every now and again. Uh, the one with Stroll in Spain springs to mind as well, but that was his fifth race. You know, we can't judge yeah. him too harshly. And I think we, we all get the impression that Norris can fight for world championships uh, one day which I don't think we, we quite get with science right now. It would be if McLaren keep this line up for two years and then uh, McLaren are in a, a position to fight for a championship in 2021, then that's going to be really, I think both of those guys can fight for a title. At the moment, they've got such a strong relationship, Carlos and, and Lando. And uh, I think in, in a couple of years, if they are starting to fight for podiums and wins on a regular basis, either yeah. that healthy relationship is going to be a massive benefit to the team or it's going to massively melt down yeah I, it, that will be interesting to see i mean uh, fair enough we, we've spent time comparing lando and and carlos a bit informal sorry mr norris and mr signs uh we've spent time comparing them as you guys have said they're in completely different stages of their career personally as someone who wishes lando norris well and, and who likes seeing the brits do well sorry about that uh I would say that I would prefer him to have had that conservative start rather than have a reputation now for somebody who goes Maldonadoing into people or Grosjoning around Ben's uh, uh, Catman. So I I'm relatively happy if one of our biggest criticisms of him was, oh, he didn't want to hit people on lap one. Yeah. So in Australia, for example, he was stuck behind Giovinazzi for a good 20 laps because he just didn't want to get his elbows out. But actually that improved massively over the season, even as at Bahrain, when he kept Kimi behind him for the last few laps of the race on a track that's quite easy to overtake on. He did incredibly well. And there were just uh, lap one, he did so well towards the end of the season. Uh, good. But Absolutely right. Taking nothing away from Carlos Sainz, he's had a, a banner season. He's had the season of his career. The unfortunate thing with Formula One is then you have to go and do it again. You have to do it again every year. So I will be mindful. I'll cut off a few emails. While we were uh, almost praising Norris, 
or excusing him not getting his elbows out, but we were also criticizing Gasly for not doing the same thing. I think the scale is different. I think the scale to which Gasly wasn't fighting is is hard, is is bigger. But do feel free to email me, spannersready at gmail.com to do uh, if you have uh, any, any uh, what do you call it? If you have any problem with the thing I said, and you can get in touch, uh, you can also get in touch with us by DM- DMing us on Twitter at MissedApexF1 or I'm at spannersready on there as well. We also have a Facebook group. Uh, to wrap up, Catman, we've been comparing... Uh, Lando to signs. Uh, what about comparing McLaren to themselves? Yes. Yeah, so they've, I think, well, they have certainly been the most improved team over the last few years. So back in 2017, when they had the Honda engines, they only scored 30 points, uh, abysmal 30 points. They were on upward trajectory, like Steve was mentioning in 2018. They got 62, but this year, 145. I say most of those were were Carlos uh, because of um, they could have got a lot more if they didn't have so many uh, mechanical gremlins this year. Um, but they are just on a massive upward trajectory. And I'm, as I say, though, my concern is that this is as far as they go. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Uh, it wasn't as fighty as I thought. Uh, however, I will I will uh, uh, take take. Um, objection to you saying that they were the best team of the season when i i think of mclaren as fighting right there at the very top all right that's enough mclaren let's move on to Renault. here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Okay, we go from number four in the championship this season to number five. Some will say that they should have been number four, but Steve Amy, our video editor, who still isn't on, you're not on the social medias, are you, Steve? You don't, you don't do them. No, no, can't, can't see any reason to. I spend enough time just on the map stuff. Well, why waste time on other things? But I always want to tag you and give you credit for things and argue with you about stuff on, on the Twitters, but no, you hide in your hovel 
playing your guitar. Now, you are an all-round musician and a professional video editor. Oh, yes. I wouldn't call myself a, uh, necessarily a professional editor, although I edit. Well, oh, I mean, sorry. I'm a director Producer. and writer primarily. Oh, sorry, sorry. But I edit because you can. Is that higher up the pecking uh, order, is it, the the things you said? Uh, no, I, no, not necessarily. A good editor is, you know, a, something that's very scarce and, you know, people look out for them. I'd love to be a great editor. But all the things you see when you check out the video, and you should occasionally, like personally myself, I'm more of a podcast consumer than a YouTube editor. But should you ever find yourself at home in the mood to watch Mistake Apex, you can see a slightly different production in our fake studio and see everyone in their fake backgrounds. Matt, sorry, not fake, real. Matt has a real backdrop of uh, of Brooklyn and Manhattan behind him. And Steve has a real beach behind him as well. So do come and check out the video uh, and subscribe to the channel. Search for Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube. Steve, you're making the case for Renault. Uh, I would say everybody's 10th favourite team. I, I understand that you will be a fan of Daniel Ricciardo, but how do you actually feel about the team itself? Uh, I think the public perception of the team this year has been that they uh, had a bad year. And to some extent, that's true. Let's just look at what you know. What was uh, their lot in 2018 to start with, and just leave. Yeah, good idea. Yep. In 2018, they had what they probably considered to be a fairly good year. Uh, they they had fourth, got fourth in the um, constructors' championship, um, and they developed. Uh, and I their expectation for this year, on the back of that, was that. They would close the gap to the leaders uh, and that they may get a podium or two. I mean, that turned out to be not, not Miles away. close, but anyway, yes. And so in some ways they've taken a step back um, and the public perception is that. But if you actually break it down and, and look at what the team did during this year, one of the things they did, which was, uh, you know, hit their KPIs, was that they closed the gap fairly substantially to the leaders. In Is, 2018, ah. the average gap was about two and a bit seconds, you know, 2.1 to 2.2 seconds. The average gap this year, and I'm placing the, making these comparisons on their qualifying performances. Okay, that's the average yeah. The average gap this year was down to about 1.4 seconds. So that actually improved around about seven-tenths. And in Formula One, that's a fair amount. So I think that you know they took a step forward in that way. Um, they had some things that were difficult for them during the year, and I'm not trying to necessarily make uh, excuses for them, but these are some of the things that you need to take into consideration. Okay, go go ahead and uh, list the excuses then, Steve. <laughs> well, they came into the year having to deal with the fallout from the go and. True, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that went on all year, and in fact, still hasn't been resolved properly yet. Actually, I think um, people might, may underestimate that because Renault was a team in twenty seven, twenty eighteen that was basically having to prove to the mothership that F one was worth doing and was worth getting investing. And uh, I never know how to pronounce it. Is it, it Goen? Go Gojan? Goen uh, was one of the supporters, as was his uh, deputy, who then got made CEO and then got sacked himself. So the sort of the, the soul of Renault F1 itself was at stake. And it wasn't like the Renault 
masters were saying, okay, F1 project, here's a billion pounds. You know, they, they have had to deal with the budget and prove themselves. Uh, they have, and um, their new, you know, managing director is someone who has publicly stated that he's not a fan of Formula One racing. Ooh. So that, yeah, that has put, uh, you know, all kinds of uncertainty into the minds of the team and into the way that they respond and react. So, as I said, don't want to make excuses, but they had to deal with that and they've had to deal with that all year and that's been unsettling. Um, your next excuse. They also, <laughs> sorry? What's your next excuse? <laughs> oh, well, they had some problems with the new um, test bed, engine test bed that they put in in Viri at the end of 2018. They put a, um, a new dyno test bed in and it had problems and so that caused them issues coming into this year into testing in terms of being able to develop their engine further. And having said that, um, their winter testing this year was actually pretty good. At the end of the, the winter testing period, they had put on the third most number of laps, both as a team and as an engine supplier. Um, they had the third highest, uh, third fastest um, time, which was Nico Hulkenberg on the last day of testing. So, and it was pretty good. They didn't have, you know, too many you know, crazy uh, engine problems and mechanical problems during the testing. Okay, so just, just hold, so, hold you there because the chat room is trying, bless you, trying to correct our pronunciation but have spelled it in such a way that it leaves me none the wiser. They're saying it's pronounced G-O-S-H-N. That's three vowels together. I don't, Gojin, Gojin, nope, no, I'm still, no, sorry. I, I'm none the wiser I, 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 I take my pronunciation <laughs> from Matt Trumpets, who seems to know. Oh, he's, gosh, no, he says, that it's gone. he says, he says Botas, he doesn't know anything. No, he says Botas, <laughs> doesn't he? He says Botas. Uh, oh, the, the other thing is, it's quite, it's, it's interesting you are uh, making excuses, which is fine. Uh, I like those factors. Talking about the engine and the problems they're having, Ren uh, Renault is also in the back of the McLaren. So McLaren had the effects of all those things as well. Y you can't quite excuse them because you are talking as if it's Renault versus the top three. Really, they haven't earned this season. They haven't earned ah, the position but, to be... But, but, they're fighting McLaren at the moment, not Mercedes. Sure, I'll agree with that. Um, it's not the engine that, that is the issue at this stage. Uh, and I was going to get onto this a little later. If you actually look at the engine um, and look at the, uh, the figures, in a, straight, you know, in a straight line, they're pretty fast. If you look at their qualifying and their performances uh, on, um, you know, the, the fast tracks, the low drag tracks, um, uh, Belgium and Italy particularly, they qualified really well, uh, quite high, um, and they finished quite high. Uh, in Belgium, they qualified 6th and 7th and finished 14th and 8th, but that was because Danny damaged uh, on lap one and had to pit early, so he ne never made it up. And in Italy, they were 5 and 6 in qualifying and 4 and 5 uh, as they raced positions. So I will argue the the engine is fine point slightly because okay maybe they've got the pace but they are still severely lacking the reliability and uh, i went through and uh, made a little list from mclaren and renault i didn't even get halfway through before i just got really well like i'm just going to have something for every race here and there's no point in me listing every single uh mm. thing there was but you could just see there was 
you know, issue for Hulkenberg in Australia, double retirement in Bahrain, more issues for Hulkenberg in, in China uh, and in, in Germany for Ricardo, and then for McLaren as well in those first few races. Uh, there was, of course, Norris's famous uh, engine breakdown on the, the, the final lap at Spa. Uh, there was the uh, the MGUK glitch that got Ricardo disqualified from qualifying in uh, Singapore. The break by wire controversy. We, we get the idea. Well, that's that's a bit unfair. <laughs> that one. They've been running that system since the winter testing. Since the Grosjean days. Since apparently. Lotus. Yeah. So since apparently. Lotus. Yeah. Since it was Lotus. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'll give you that one, but. There is, there's still so much work to go on there, but the chassis as well is a big problem area. That was my next point. That was my next point. Let's hear that then. What's really, what's really letting them down is the chassis and the aero. Uh, The engine itself, when it, okay, when it runs, runs well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) The problem is that they can't go through the twisty bits. That's, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the team has obviously identified that problem now, and in the last few months they have taken some fairly big steps in order to fix that, um, like, you know, goodbye to Nick Chester and Peter Machen, um, who, uh, who who were the TD chassis uh, lead and the head of Aero, oh, respectively. Okay. And they have hired Dirk De Beer as the new head of Aero, and Pat Fry is the TD, and I remember Pat Fry is the man who, in my opinion, had a lot to do with turning around McLaren. Um, now, so those people will come in at, at early next year. The yeah. truthful, the truth of the matter is that they are not going to have a huge amount of um, say in the car for next year because that's already half decided. Mm-hmm. Um, but in twenty twenty one. Uh, you know, their print will be all over the new Renault car, or should be. Okay, good. Well, let's get on to hope. I will just say, uh, Marcel Van D has said, Steve is starting to sound like Cyril now. Oh, no, come on. He's he's putting up the case for Renault. And that has just reminded me, Chris, that I haven't been taking down any comment of the week comments because uh, Matt isn't here. So can you do that starting now? No, don't worry. I've been doing it. Oh, okay. That's good. Somebody brought it up in the chat room. That's why <laughs> I got reminded. So thank you, chat room. Ooh, fantastic. The, the amount of times the chat room has saved us is is unbelievable. Ian Cadwell, uh, I think, has asked, I said, I bet Renault are going to be behind Toro Rosso next year. So basically what we're seeing is a team that's come in, I, I feel like has been underfunded, hasn't had the backing of their masters, uh, and has gone from fourth to now losing to their own customer, which is just gotta hurt uh we'll hear from chris first and then steve basically i want to know is there hope for 2020 are they going up or down well they were being beaten by their customer team before weren't they with red bull so uh, i think that's a little different i'll say that's a, it little, is a different little different because yeah. um, they were supplying red bull first and and they already had that relationship and then renault came in as as the works team so a little bit different yeah. there and red bull had the jump of knowing the engine and also being ahead in the aero and chassis game, and then Renault came in. Uh, Steve, hope for 2020. Um, I think there will be a little improvement in uh, the engine because they've got the test bed sorted out now and they're being able to test it and develop it a little better. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of hope for a lot of improvement, primarily because for all teams next year is going to be a lost cause. No one's going to spend a huge amount of money developing engines for next year because of 2021. They're going to put all of their resources into 2021, 
particularly because they want to beat the the spending cap that's going to come in in 2021. So they're going to spend like madmen on the 2021 car next year before they're you know capped off. Steve, that's amazing. You've got in the 2020 excuses already. You're a whole year ahead. That's fantastic, Chris. <laughs> That is assuming they haven't already made the decision to pull out of Formula One at the end of 2020. Mazapan's Mazapan. buying it. Mazapan F1. And EJ in the chat room says, uh, use Toro Rosso's real name. No, I've made no effort to learn it or remember it. It's just Toro Rosso. Uh, let's have a look at the season by the Silver Arrows. They obviously, they wrapped up uh, the championship uh, quite early for the driver and a little bit later they or was it the other way around i can't remember but they wrapped up uh their sixth consecutive manu- uh constructors title can it be anything other than an a plus for the brackley outfit i think that's area for improvement um i think we we see when mercedes come under pressure they do make mistakes and that's true of on any team really We've seen Red Bull make mistakes under pressure. We've seen Ferrari make mistakes under pressure. So it's not a particular criticism. I just don't think you can quite give them the 10 out of 10 um, for this year, which is absolutely fine, really. But I think in terms of um, the car as well, you know, Lewis has said, I want more power next season. I don't want to be down on the Ferraris. I want to be able to, I don't want to have to sit uh, behind a Ferrari for half a race. Uh, and stare at the back of it for so long that I could give you a detailed drawing of uh, a Ferrari rear diffuser at the end of the race. Uh, so that is one area of, of improvements. Well, all I can say is, um, Lewis, welcome to the rest of the field if you've got to sit behind a car for a while. But how yeah. do you think <laughs> the other 20 drivers have felt? But uh, for me, Mercedes were uh, quite lucky in being the, the lead team with the most stability. Uh, no- nothing had changed really, whereas Ferrari had a new driver lineup. Red Bull had a whole new engine. So they were able to start on the right foot. But actually, the car wasn't all that when they first got it together. And in preseason testing, it wasn't brilliant. It didn't handle all that well. And that is kind of a characteristic which kind of stuck through the season. They managed to really improve the speed, but Lewis was certainly complaining at the the beginning of the season. It wasn't perfect to drive oh yeah no i mean they only won seven races in a row yeah well this was the the big thing was it they were complaining that the car wasn't you know 100 percent, but they took six one two finishes in the first eight races the title was already won at that point they had one hand on the trophy already especially for lewis because he won six of those first eight races so i think uh we need to stop putting so much wait to what happens in pre-season because we've had three seasons in a row now yeah. where Ferrari have looked amazing and fantastic and then it's it's not turned up in the flyaway races. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we, we, we say that Mercedes have built a car for the whole season and then they kind of identify the problem areas, don't they? So like the low speed corners, so they wouldn't go well in Monaco and Singapore, for example. They really worked on that uh, for this season and it was a whole lot better. Now they have They've had even fewer blips. Austria was probably the biggest one because of the overheating, and they worked on that. Germany was pretty bonkers, and actually you can't really read too much into that race, so we'll give them that. And then Singapore and Brazil uh, were the other, the lowest points because they came fourth, you know, or, or Lewis just got out dragged to the line. To be fair, if he hadn't had that penalty, he still would have been on the podium in Brazil. So 
there are so few areas where you have to look at at the car for uh, and the team in fact mm. for improvement their consistency and that when they have failed they have failed less yeah. does that make sense they've they failed safe in a way so they haven't failed as in two cars driving together they haven't failed in that a philosophy has made them out of the top six or anything like that. When they yeah. failed, they've still had a real drumbeat of results. And in fact, I think I, I was looking at Mercedes and they may be the only team that that scored in every round this season. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, potentially. I, I haven't got the stats in front of me. Only because Ferrari didn't score in Brazil. Yeah, maybe Red Bull, if Max didn't finish a race, then it was it's a bit more likely that uh that they didn't um score but we can confirm that next week um now we're, we're praising mercedes but this is not to say that mercedes won lewis hamilton the title uh i i think it more the team played a role this year than say last year for example because i think if it had been bottas versus seb for the title then i think we would have seen seb and ferrari being crowd world champions last year whereas this season you know it, it was a season where they were in podium contention for every race, which is so much better than to have a few wins, but then be trash everywhere else. And they did get a bit lucky in those first few races sometimes, you know, um, Bahrain, Canada, uh, Russia. I knew you were going to bring that up. I knew you'd bring up Bahrain in that. I You say that's lucky. So you're saying it's lucky because Leclerc had a failure that had to slow him down. I would, well, I, will, I will say that Mercedes have a philosophy where they have a lot more margin on their reliability. Yeah. So I bet no, I, you... I agree with that. Yeah. I bet you anything that Mercedes started out the season feeling confident. So they think, oh, we've, we're pretty much there. So we can run at 80% and we'll look forward. Ferrari, they'll have looked at the tracks where they were doing well. As soon as they thought they were doing well, like Bahrain, they can start cranking it up and they can throw reliability out the window because they knew they'd made a poor start and they needed to capitalise in the areas they could. But... I think when you go for a philosophy like that, you're thinking more about the end of the season. Like we didn't have to take an engine penalty on 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 the car, and so actually mm. it, it was fine. We've saved ourselves, you know, a couple of bad uh, races there. I don't think they quite expected the payoff to come in the second round of the championship. So I think, in a sense, that there was a bit of luck in there. But I I do agree with your your point about how they go for. Yeah, the, the reliability and the consistency over the raw speed because that's what's won them um, this uh, championship. And just, I'll go, no, go on. I, I would say it's not just uh, purely on the engineering reliability for, versus performance. They do it with strategy as well. So often yeah. they will take the the low risk and they will take the the do nothing approach. And that's not an insult. In every situation, you know, you've got options from do nothing to do something extreme. And so often, like when there's a safety car, or when there's a virtual safety car, there's an opportunity to pit, or the, a pit window is closing, or the weather is is coming in. They will do nothing first. They will sit and they will react and be reactive because overall, though you may lose out to the person who gambles, the the idea is that by being conservative and doing the do nothing first approach, that you will win overall. And I think they were put in that position because they had such a strong start to the championship. Yeah. If they were trailing in the championship. You, you might see them being a bit more proactive. Uh, so I think you know, next season, let's say Ferrari and Red Bull really hit the ground running and they will have to shake up that that strategy and that philosophy. Otherwise, they will just come off um, second best a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, you know, we're saying Mercedes done incredible. 
Lewis Hamilton's obviously been amazing. We can't go through this show without saying that because to say that Mercedes won him a title would be ridiculous. And, you know, Bottas 2.0 at the beginning of the season really didn't pan out. He's no schmuck. You know, he's a, he's a fine racing driver, but for Lewis to have had nearly the points equivalent of four victories over him by the end of the year. I mean, that's astonishing. Uh, yeah, so I guess uh, inevitably we we do have to look at Bottas. It, it, on paper, it's his best ever season in Formula One. However, it's now his third season as Lewis Hamilton's teammate. And, and it, it doesn't look like he's any more of a threat than he was at the beginning. The consistency isn't there. The raw speed isn't there. He's beaten in just about every area. And I don't know, he's... Is that fine? Is that fine for him? Do we still get the impression there's fight? He, he talks the talk. He says all the right things. I need to come back stronger. But so often, I mean, he looks just utterly dejected in team photos and after races and on podiums. And it's, uh, I don't know, it, it doesn't feel the same as when it was Rosberg Hamilton battling at Mercedes. Yeah, I think Rosberg was able to provide more of a challenge than, than Bottas can. He has these flashpoints, doesn't he? Uh, Baku was one of them. Japan was one of them as well. But he needs to be doing that every race. Uh, and he can't afford to just leak so many points. It's not like we're not like talking like a Red Bull situation where he was too busy fighting uh, Ferraris and Red Bulls to, to scrabble onto the podium. That only happened in the more extreme circumstances of the races. So like Monaco, for example, which was a bit of a cluster to say the least uh, amongst those guys because of the strategy, you know, he was coming in and, and getting second place in, in a lot of the races that Lewis uh, won. Okay. But so beyond that, it yeah. got a bit too, too close to kind of properly match up. No doubt he has to step up. So my, my only concern with Mercedes and their strategy is that they Obviously, like on raw engineering power, pace, consistency, they've been able to secure title after title after title since 2014. If they get a serious challenge, like we saw in Brazil, it's it's a completely different story. And are they unprepared for those scenarios where they might be underpowered, like they were in Brazil? And if they're really going toe to toe with another team, say Red Bull or who knows, even Ferrari next season, my fear is that. Their, their their tactics won't stand up to a more equal battle. I think they'll do just fine uh, against against the two of them together because we have seen them come off and, and beat those scenarios in the same way that the other teams have been able to outsmart them as well. But you know, last season was, for the majority of the season, closely fought, especially the first half of it. And Mercedes were trailing in the championship for the majority of that season uh, in in terms of the points. So I think we can see them be a bit more proactive and say that we need to make this happen. Because if I remember rightly, that's what we were praising them for last year. So they can adjust themselves to the situation that they're in. So I don't think we need to be worried that, well, if, if you're Ferrari a Mercedes and Mercedes fan and Rebel, if they bring it to the table next season, that Mercedes can't handle it. Okay, Chris, you've you've done that very concisely. There's not actually, surprisingly, there's not really a great deal to say about Mercedes because they've achieved the targets they set out to achieve. They they set out straight from the beginning of the season and just absolutely smashed it. When they have been down, 
they've still been consistent and taken their opportunities. So when Ferrari were ahead and and left the door open, they walked through that door and took those opportunities. It, it, I mean, we're, we're, we're sort of scrambling around, looking for some negatives, looking for some areas of improvement. This is probably, oh, here we go. This is, Mercedes are the best Formula One team that has ever competed in the sport. Hmm. Ah. That's a, oh, that's a really strong statement. I'm so inclined to agree with you. I stand by it. Uh, and email me spannersready at gmail.com or comment in the, in fact, I don't do the YouTube thing. Like and subscribe, guys. Leave a comment in thingies below. Do you know what I've, so, cause I'm not too much of an expert, you know, historically. We'll do some research. We will put this to a series of experts and we will determine if, Mercedes are the greatest team in from Formula One history. So just to be clear, I'm not saying it's the best car in Formula One history relative to other cars, because I think there are seasons where Ferrari could have won. But for, I think Ferrari have had a normal amount of inconsistency, whereas Mercedes haven't. And that's where they've picked up the, the extra. Well, I think in terms of lap time, it, the W10 is the fastest Formula One car of all time. No? These are the quickest Formula One. <laughs> oh cars yeah, no, no. I, I I would rather do it relative seen. relative to other cars. That's that's the yeah, scale yeah. I'm going to go on. Uh, fantastic. Well, uh, I think we do have time. In fact, to to do a little Mercedes, uh, a little Ferrari. But before I do, Steve, I'm so sorry, my my friend. We the whole point of you doing Renault, I assume, was so that you could talk about Daniel Ricciardo, Ricardo, Ricciardo uh, versus Hulkenberg at the beginning of the season. Uh, in fact, in the off season, we did a poll. Uh, our karting a live event, and we asked, you know, does anybody think Hulkenberg stands a chance against Ricardo? And everyone kind of was like, no, Ricardo's going to smash him. How did it play out? Uh, I think Ricardo did fairly well smash him, um, uh, particularly given that this was the first year that Daniel was in the car and the team. Um, Hulk had been there for at least two years before that. Um, the results, the quality results, were fifteen to six, which was fairly you know, substantial. The race results were 12 to 9, which is not quite as, you know, desperate, but still is a fairly good winning margin. And the points were 54 to 37. So, well, obviously, Ricardo outgunned um, the Hulk, you know, fairly substantially. But I think it's more than just what the statistics show. Um, Ricardo came in and he is the sort of racer that is prepared to take a risk, I mean, sometimes to his own detriment, you know, dive down the inside, the last of the late breakers. Um, and, if, you know, what did he say about licking stamps and, you know, taking, <laughs> uh, you know, pushing gaps? Um, the difference with him is that he is a driver who is trying to force situations where he can get an advantage with someone. If he dr- comes up behind someone, he will look for a way to be able to force them to make a mistake in order to be able to get past them. Uh, he's looking for an advantage. Unfortunately, I think Nico Hulkenberg has spent too long driving in only midfield teams and has a kind of a midfield mindset. That is, if if a doorway opens up on the racetrack for him, yeah, he'll take it. But he's not the sort of racer to be pushing the person in front of him to try and get force them to make a mistake. So. He beat him in the stats, but he beat him well and truly in the style of racing that he pursues uh, and in the you know, the mental strength and the mental kind of direction that he uses when he races. Okay, so I will say the chat room isn't being that kind 
to to Ricardo here. However, they never are. They never are. However, he's beaten a rated driver. Say what you want about Nico Nico Hulkenberg uh, now, uh, now that he's been beaten by Ricardo. But people have been very, very complimentary, apart from his inability to to bag that podium. People have been complimentary and rated Hulkenberg as a top driver. Ricardo's gone there and and dealt with him. So that is step one to repairing the the reputation, if you like. He's got Ocon up next. Mm. If, if he beats Ocon, that is going to you know that's going to be a big uh, tick in the box, and people are going to go, well, well, look at that. He's beaten Hulkenberg. He's beaten. He's beaten Ocon, Chris. Hard to argue. He's not a top flight driver if he does. I would argue it's just the other way around, in that we should be measuring Ocon against Ricardo, as if, as if Ocon is already some sort of massive benchmark. People rate really, people really rate Ocon as much as we we rate him. It's only going to be a second season in in Formula One or third. Third, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't think we could quite. Because it's not like he hasn't been on the podium and he hasn't won races. So we can't say, well, well, he's beaten Ocon, so therefore he's clearly brilliant. I think for more, it's going to be Ocon beat Ricardo or, okay, or got yeah. very close to Ricardo. Uh, okay, yeah. And like, like I said, it's a big if. And, and, and David Shankle says, that's a big if, Spanners. Yeah, I know. And literally, that's what, hypo- that's what hypothetical scenarios are. I said, if he beats Ocon, then people will not be able to deny that he's on his way back. Uh, prediction, though, is your is your boy, is uh, Danny boy, Danny Rick, is he super, super cool, spinny, dancey guy? Is he going to beat Ocon? Yes or no, Steve? Yes, but I think it'll be harder than beating Hulk. Good. It will be a fantastic race to watch. Chris, you disagree? No, I think he has to. For the sake uh, of his otherwise- career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. No, I agree. You're right. He's coming in from a year off into a team he doesn't know. It's now Daniel Ricciardo's team. Daniel Ricciardo has to win next season. Absolutely agree. Let's uh, let, let's squeeze in Ferrari. Okay, I'm looking at the positives we can draw from the Ferrari season. What can the Tafosi be be happy about this season? I, I will say the absolute number one thing that you can praise Ferrari for, Chris, is the fact that they have gone to the driver market. They have uh, uh, let Kimi Raikkonen go and decided not to bring in another Raikkonen, not to bring in uh, a solid number two, a journeyman. They could have brought in Hulkenberg. They could have brought in Perez. They could have brought in uh, Grosjean, somebody, or Magnussen, somebody who could just be offered up on the the sacrificial altar for Vettel to, to beat soundly. They didn't. They went for a, a second-year rookie, and they went for talent all out. And you have to say that is a massive departure from Ferrari culture of, of recent times. And they've really brought on and nurtured an exciting F1 talent for the benefit of the sport as well as for their benefit and deserve nothing but praise for that. Big thumbs up from all of us. Huge. Because it's it's just electrified the battles at the sharp end of the field, I think. Not only you know having Max there is the kind of the disruptive influence on um, a lot of very a, a very stable position at the front of Formula One. So bringing in some new blood has really revitalized the the lead battles for me. It's just it's it's just something new and exciting to watch and. My God, he learned how to get his elbows out after Austria, didn't he? It was just yeah, amazing. So, so he's had this sort of season-long rivalry with with Verstappen as much as he's had with Vettel. And, and I think 
if we fast forward a couple of years, my theory will be, my prediction will be that we will look at the the Leclerc battle as a side note in a larger battle of how Leclerc and Ferrari take on Hamilton and Mercedes and take on uh, Red Bull and Verstappen. But at the beginning of the season, actually, it didn't look that amazing for Leclerc. He ended up in the Baku barrier, didn't he, in um, uh, in qualifying. There was a couple of other errors. Of course, he was, you say, robbed, but he was robbed by unreliability in Bahrain. Actually, though, it did look like Vettel was going to be on top of him uh, for, for, for the season. It wasn't until Paul Ricard, where suddenly it started to go the other way and Leclerc was beating him, you know, three races in a row, I think uh, Silverstone, Germany, I'm forgetting the ones. But basically, there was a run of races where when they both finished, Vettel only won in Hungary in the teammate battle. He only beat him in Hungary and then Singapore when he won the race. I'm going to disagree with you slightly because for for my money, Leclerc very much showed his intention immediately. First race, when they had to tell him, back off from Seb. And then... In, in Bahrain, where he went, nope, I'm just going for it. And w- brilliant wheel-to-wheel racing with his teammate. Yeah. So for me, that that intent and that ability was there from the offset. It just lacked a little bit of yeah consistency, as you'd expect with somebody only in his second year in uh, Formula One. And the mistakes were there, as you'd expect. But he can't afford to keep making those next year. He needs to have a bit mm. more of a, a cleaner slate, but he's so hard on himself. Yeah. Ch- chat room but- saying that, that Leclerc got schooled by Verstappen in Austria. What is Austria yeah. race six or something, but or race seven, it was early on in the season. Certainly in the second half of the season, it's hard to argue that Vettel didn't have the met wasn't sorry, wasn't beaten by Leclerc. Steve. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say that, um, Obviously, it must be hard for Vettel because he started the year with, you know, the thought that he was the number one driver and he thought the team was going to support him as the number one driver and they did for maybe two or three races. And after that, um, obviously, they saw that Charles Leclerc, you know, he's a damn good driver, every bit as good as Vettel, and he started to push himself onto the team. And yes, he's hard on himself, but then he's obviously a, a racer with you know high standards and high expectations of what he can do. Um, I think part of what Charles has done has undermined Seb quite a lot and mm. made the team reassess where they're going to put themselves in the future, which has you know rolled on through the year and has now led to these strange um, rumours that you know Sebastian Vettel is going to somehow not come back and race next year. Personally, I can't see that happening, but he's got to understand Charles Leclerc is a hard, hard racer. He is going to be one of the real stars of the next few years. Uh, Yeah, and this is where I wanted to come on to the next area of credit that I'm going to give Ferrari. I think a real positive has been the management of the teammate battles. So not being dogged and saying, okay, uh, we're going to have Vettel here and then this is going to be Leclerc's bedding in here. I'm sure that's how the season started but they had to see the pace and potential early on. And as the season developed, I mean, that sort of started to go away. I'm forgetting exactly which race it was, but uh, Vettel was ordered out of the way. In fact, that was Sochi, was it? Vettel was actually ordered out of the way to give the place back to Leclerc after he got the drag into turn one. That that would have been unthinkable for Vettel versus Raikkonen. 
But Ferrari do have previous of of their top drivers then succumbing to number two status and not necessarily realising that they're going to be the number two. So Barrichello, I think on Beyond the Grid, recently said that, you know, he didn't quite see himself as a number two. I'm sure Raikkonen did not know he was going to be number two uh, to uh, to Vettel. I'm sure um, Massa didn't set out to be number two to Alonso or number two to Vettel. I don't think that there is that doggedness. And I, and I think I can see from this Ferrari management here that they could be willing to say next season, if Leclerc's results start coming up immediately, they will start favouring Leclerc and start giving Vettel orders to hang back or hold back. Or I'm not saying they'll go as far as opening his gearbox on the Interlagos grid to knock him back five places, but they <laughs> might. If if Leclerc is outperforming Vettel, they'll give Leclerc the number one status. They will. Uh, the future of Ferrari is Leclerc, but I'm kind of hoping that this is a bit of a a wake-up call for Seb. If he isn't ready to leave Formula 1 just yet, then he needs to really dig deep to, to find something to beat this kid and, crucially, minimise the errors because it's just the undoing of Sebastian Vettel right now. And so what I really hope we get next season, like dream scenario is, you know, Ferrari are able to challenge at the front and we get some proper uh, dogfights between Seb and Charles. Okay, so more positives for Ferrari and no chat room. It's not hurting me. I'm a very positive kind of guy. I can see the positives and everything. Okay, so Ferrari didn't come out with the best design and they, they admit that they didn't come out with the best design. No, that's not criticism. The way they responded to that, I think was actually admirable. So they didn't go out to be like Mercedes and be the best car everywhere. They played to their strengths and they went even lower downforce in the places they had to go lower downforce to make themselves a, a pain, to make themselves a pain on the racetrack, to make them a car that can make themselves a car that can overtake if they don't get pole, uh, to make themselves a car that is hard to overtake should they manage to get past in qualifying or you know into the first corner. They had a philosophy that was like, okay, right, well we we haven't got the big punch, but we can we can rope a dope a little bit, we can be a bit clever, and they did that to great effect. Because after, if you look at like, you know, Monza and and Barcelona, Leclerc was not the fastest car on race pace, Chris. At Monza, Hamilton was on him. And it was great racing from Leclerc and the fact that they'd taken that strategy and the fact that they were picking their battles earned them a win at Monza, which actually is a fantastic and massive prize for them. Yeah, it's like when Red Bull takes strategic penalties so that they've got fresh engines for the races they know they're going to be uh, really competitive at. In a way, that's why Mercedes keep winning um, titles. But for sure, the the straight line speed ha- has won them races because it, it's so much easier to maintain track position when the car behind you mm. with all the errs and DRS and massive slipstreams in the world can only match you on um, top speed. But Bonotto was, was quoted last week saying, you know, we lost this title when we designed the car last year. Fundamentally, it was flawed and didn't have enough downforce uh, on it. Now, there's the w- weird period where they somehow managed to get enough downforce to win in Singapore, which is the highest downforce yeah. track on the calendar. Well, it's amazing what you can do with a bit more with a bit more oomph under your right foot, isn't it? Yeah, you can well, all, yeah. you can bolt you can bolt all the downforce you want if you've got double the fuel going through. But then, it, but they had that 
sort of speed advantage all season and still lack the downforce. And then when it came to it, you know, like three races before in Hungary, they were nearly a, a minute behind the leader. But then yeah. three races later at the next super high downforce track, they were untouchable. So I, I really don't understand where this, you know, why there, there was such a flip flop in the performance. Okay, so I'm going to, without saying allegedly, I'm going to say it's incredibly likely that Ferrari found a swizzle to increase their fuel flow rate under acceleration for a portion of the season until the other teams figured out what they were doing and the FIA uh, issued technical directives based on requests from the team. So I, I feel I feel pretty empowered to say that, given the evidence we've seen over the season. Steve? Well, you can't blame Ferrari for that. No, I don't. Um, the system we have at the moment where teams self-regulate is just crazy. We have a sport where one of the, you know, the things is we push things to the limit. We try to find all of the openings, loopholes in regulations and technical directives. Oh. Um, you can't blame Ferrari for doing that. Maybe we should change, you know, go back to uh, where the FIA is, you know, actively uh, looking at the cars, you know, in a random basis. And that would stop them from, you know, what, ch- cheating. Okay, I, I appreciate exactly what you're saying. If you if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And it is definitely part of the sport to try and sneak these innovations in. I will say there is a limit between loopholes, as you've said, and what Ferrari is alleged to have done, if it is true that they simply were able to pull fuel past the fuel flow sensor that gave them more power down the straight. They are effectively increasing the fuel flow to the engine. That that and they would have known that. If that is the case, that is out and out cheating and different to finding a clever loophole like the double diffuser. But I'm I'm not I'm not even blaming them for that. That is a that is a positive because the next positive I wanted to point out was that Bonotto does not get the credit that he deserves for dealing with, with what I imagine historically is a more hostile work environment than say the Mercedes hey, just admit your mistakes and come and give us a hug and then we'll all smoke a spliff and then we'll come back stronger. I think Bonotto is probably working with a, a guillotine hanging nearby and you know the noose is being constructed. Every race he's got one eye on his P45. So he is working in a, a far more desperate uh, situation. And as Chris says, if they target for certain races when they know the championship's kind of you know out of reach that win at Monza might well have saved his job. That win at Monza did his career much better than, say, a consistent second place for the next three races. So I will say, I don't think a Ferrari that was challenging for the title would have done that fuel flow trick. To me, Mm. that feels like a somewhat desperate move from a, a management structure under a lot of pressure, desperate to bring home those keystone results. I don't know whether it's any more... Um, you know, outright cheating than uh, lots of other instances in the past where teams have pushed the boundaries. Um, Sure, if that's what happened, they got caught and they got done. Um, And I guess they'll have to learn their lesson from that. But you can't blame them for trying. And as for Bonotto, well, there's no doubt that, you know, it's a toxic atmosphere at Ferrari, and he's trying to deal with it the best that he can. History uh, has, you know, proven that you don't get a second chance at Ferrari very often, and I guess he's trying to look after himself. I think there's something to be said for making sure you have the ability to win a key race, such as your home race, for example. 
because Ferrari and Red Bull's biggest moments from this season and the, the where they would have got the most marketing done, the best PR for Ferrari, Monza, when they won, and Red Bull, Austria, where they won. Mercedes will have gotten more out of winning the title, but having Hamilton win his home race, that's huge. If they'd have been able to win in Germany as well, would have gone off the scale. You can see they were prepared for that scenario, but yeah, ultimately that didn't pan out. But I think there is something to be said for making sure you win key races where you have certain certain yeah. marketing things. Like like Mercedes winning in Malaysia was always a big thing as well because of Petronas. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And uh, yeah, so that win at Monza, absolutely massive. Uh, so we're missing a few people. Catman's had to go to deal with a family issue, but do go and follow him on Twitter at Catman F1. Does that, does that sound right? I think so. At Catman F1. Yeah, give that a go. You, you'll find him. Uh, and you can follow our regular co-host, Matt Trumpets, by going to at MattPT55. He can't be here today because he is playing a gig. And if you are in the New York area, swing by the bitter end this Friday at 6.30pm and swing 46 Sunday at 8pm if you are in that area. Worth seeing Matt play. I've seen it. He is brilliant. Chris is at Chris on Racing on Twitter. I am at Spanners Ready. The show is at Missed Apex F1. And Steve is frightened by technology and social media. If he ever sees any social media, he jabs it with a stick and tells it to get off his lawn. He hates it that much. That's the one. That's, That's the, the one. one. Uh, look, what is this witchcraft, says Steve Amy. Uh, so I think I've been fairly positive about Ferrari. And the last thing I will say about Ferrari is... I'm not going to argue this year that they could have won the title. I think that's a stretch to say they could have won the title. But had it not been for mistakes of uh, a driver who is, you know, is quite mistake prone. Vettel has been making more and more mistakes the last few seasons and bedding in a new and talented rookie who made mistakes at the beginning of the season. A couple of coming togethers with the, the two teammates, a couple of strategic and tactical errors, certainly a slight maybe misstep in uh, the reliability versus performance ratios. I don't think it's as bad a car as it perhaps looked. I think that they have built a, a very competitive car. They probably have a good platform to build upon. Uh, Chris Catman Turner, you are evil for putting a very cute child in front of your camera while I'm trying to make a point. The, the hope that I would say for Tafosi fans, for Tafosi, sorry, that means fans, is that there is a core structure at your team to build on. It might not have worked out this season. They might have had to change their philosophy and tack when the beginning of the season didn't go well. But at it, at the core, that is a top team with a top car who are very much in with the shout in 2020. I see. I slightly disagree. Shout for 2020, for sure. But um, regardless of how many mistakes they made, I just don't think this car was capable of winning the championship. At the very least, it would have been a much more interesting uh, second uh, half of the season. Okay, so, okay, look, on paper, on the points, I would absolutely agree with you, but F Mercedes weren't operating under any pressure. If Ferrari had been able to put yeah. that pressure on early on, that changes everything. Look at Lewis Hamilton in Brazil when he wasn't thinking with the championship in mind. They gave Mercedes the freedom to do whatever they wanted. They could plan A, they could plan B, they could settle for second place, second settle for third place. They could not gamble. They didn't push them at all. And if they come out of the blocks in 2020 and actually push Mercedes, Mercedes are 
beatable. They're amazing. They're fantastic and organized, but they are beatable. Yeah. No, I agree. Beatable. I just don't think they had it this season. Next season, I hope I hope they will have a closer challenge because we need it, I think. We said that at the end of last year too. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Well, well, 2020. No, well, no I... No, I said they they should have won last year's title. Definitely, they should have. They should have. T- <laughs> they definitely should have won. In the chat room, title. saying, "Stop talking about F one." There's a baby there. Hello, Chris. Uh, I take it that is a uh, uh, kitten boy F one that we're looking at. <laughs> this is Sylvie, my little girl. She's uh, she's very interested in oh, what sorry. we're up to. <laughs> oh, the hair hasn't come in yet. Apologies. No, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I had to to run away, but uh... it's okay. You lost every argument um, in in your absence, uh, guys. We have to go. I've already plugged everybody's twitters. I would urge you to consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex. We will keep you entertained over the winter, except for two Sundays. So uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash Missed Apex, there's essentially two tiers: uh, five five dollars a month and above for generally six shows and uh, at least one or two extra patron patron only podcasts that are terrible during the month and also you can come and join us in our slack forum and chat but there's also a lower tier so for 199 you can contribute to Mr Apex and get an ad free feed for your trouble so that would be i think something like 30 cents a show uh, for the lowest tier of entry on our patreon do consider supporting us because without your support there simply would be no Mr Apex patreon.com forward slash missed apex uh, we have time for an award chris and that award is comment of the week okay and uh, i think that chris's daughter is going to be the judge for sure awesome not mine the other chris hopefully <laughs> unless well, I hope you know something i don't <laughs> i put a lot of effort into this one i hope it's mine i have I have six. I have six nominations. Uh, the first is Michael uh, Distelhoff. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. So my first go at this. So, uh, uh, in response to uh, saying the fairest comparison we have to engines is in the first race in Australia, and in Australia we're saying it's only the first race. We can't tell until at least four races in. Yep, that's true. Uh, we're nothing except massive hypocrites. <laughs> Patrick Walsh, Red Bull changed four wheels quicker than I can stand up. I mean, that's true. Also, um, by the sounds of it, and if you're anywhere near me or Steve's age, you also can't stand up without sort of going, and it gets worse as you get older. Don't tell me that, Steve. It's so bad already. Who are our next contenders? Uh, So we've got Patrick Walsh again. Uh, McLaren won the Meme World Championship. Uh, Probably that was a bit of a solo effort with Lando Norris, actually. (laughs) He's brought the whole team with him. I think that's that's the key thing. Yeah. Uh, Vermin's Chris 2.0 chatting gobbledygook, we will say. That's Chris 1.0. That's, yeah, no, I disagree. Uh, Perry Brown uh, says, stop it, chat room. Hamilton to McLaren is pure 18 plus rated material for me. Oh, man. Yeah, Hamilton to Ferrari. We're not even going to get into those rumors yet. No, they were, they were having a bit of a discussion about Hamilton going back to McLaren in uh, 2021 because of Mercedes power units. Uh, we, yeah, we'll, we'll touch the Ferrari rumors at some point. Uh, and the last nomination is Mark Greenhow. A good editor is very important. Just ask George Lucas. 
<laughs> in reference to my favorite movie saga of all time. Well, oh, yes, but oh. he's dead right. George is a terrible director of people, but his editors save him every day. Oh, that's that's it saved, is it? So it would have been even worse than that. It's already the worst sci-fi ever. Yeah, but no, oh. because the first cut of Star Wars was absolutely abysmal and his editors have had to uh, save it. Oh. George Lucas he- is a visionary. Yes, he can't direct talent to save his life. Okay, so we had four comments there. Uh, did uh, Kitten Kitten Girl F1 have a favourite? You can interpret for her. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, what do you reckon? George Lucas? <laughs> yeah, go on then. Go. Who was that? Remind us of that one then, Chris. And that was Mark Greenhow. A good editor is very important. Just ask George Lucas. Fantastic. Not a first-time winner, I don't think. Mark Greenhow, you are the winner of this week's. No, not of that. Not of Random Engine Sounds Award. That's not an award. It's this one. Comment of the week. Oh, we're so close to getting through the show with only about 100 mistakes. Instead, I have to settle for 101 mistakes. We were being asked in the chat room whether we had a schedule for the winter. Now, generally over the winter, you can you can tune in uh, and catch a show for your Monday morning commute still. We aim to do the live streams at 8pm UK time on a Sunday, unless you hear otherwise. The best place to follow us is on Twitter at MissedApexF1, where we will tell you if we're not going to be on at 8pm for a live stream. Sometimes we'll have to pre-record the shows. We are taking off the last two Sundays in December uh, only, and then we'll be back on January the 5th as well. And of course, I mean, you definitely get the best information in our Patreon Slack group uh, by going to patreon.com forward slash Apex. We would appreciate any support at all. Uh, we're going to be doing some iRacing soon. Again, uh, we took a long break from that. My bad. I do have some time now to tackle that. So we'll be looking to doing some more iRacing nights and we had our first little Rocket League night as well. Far more uh, informal, but do look out for that at Mist Apex F1. We'll get on. We'll do a, a bit of Rocket League, me and Van Jean and whoever's up for it. That was a lot of fun. But wherever we see you next, be brave because wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Mist Apex or Four Men and a Baby. Oh guys, remember when remember when the baby came in? That was the best bit. The next generation of Miss Apex panelists. We're gonna be here forever. We're not going anywhere. When I'm gone, you think that's the end? No, another will rise up. It will be Treeface hosting Miss Apex with Cat Kitten Girl F1 as well. A hundred years of Miss Apex. We're never gonna go away. We're here all winter. We're here for a million seasons. There's gonna Spanners and oh, Trumpet. Spanners and Trumpets, a hundred years and the, the shed. It's all coming from the shed. Then the shed explodes and it goes out into a, a million pieces. We rebuild the shed, Spanners, and then we get Shed 2.0, Shed Reborn. And then the shed comes to life, and then the shed tramples bunches of other shed. Shut up, Steve. This is good video. Shut up. I was www.spannershed.com. <laughs> 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.